<clears throat> as a way of introduction this morning, I'd like to go to the fourth chapter of the book of Psalms. <clears throat> In this psalm, I think that David is preaching about a... He's preaching, I believe, in this psalm. He's preaching about a, about peace. And he starts off in the fourth psalm saying, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is God before himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, thou, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I think David is a David is a man who has, we'd say gone through many trials uh, in his life. He faced many enemies and adversaries uh, throughout his life, even uh, in in the former King Saul and even from his own son Absalom. Uh, this, David uh, was very familiar with uh, having uh, several enemies against him, and to be uh, and I think he that made him greatly understand uh, where his peace came from. In the midst of all that, <laughs> this is a. I think you know this is both a prayer and, like I said, I think he is he is preaching here. To, he is preaching here uh, to uh, to us and to his people of where his peace came from and where that we can also uh, find peace and and strength whenever we go through our own uh, trials in this world because this is still a very uh, very wicked world. There are still uh, several enemies uh, out, out there against us. There are still, uh, with, with Satan as our biggest adversary against us, who is constantly uh, working to uh, bring trouble and distress about us. But he says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Notice that David understood where his righteousness came from. That he understood that God was the sole author of his righteousness. That there was no righteousness within a David himself, other than what was put there on him by the Lord God. And enlarge me. That doesn't mean that I think he made David physically larger, but that he enlarged. Uh, I think he, that he enlarged his love. That he enlarged his heart with love, uh, with love towards God. And uh, you know, don't you often feel that way whenever you've gone through it? Whenever you've gone through something. You not feel your faith has been strengthened when the Lord has brought you out of it. I think David greatly understood that, and through that, he felt that his heart was and love for God was enlarged by that, in seeing that, uh, that that the Lord had given him peace and was merciful upon him. And he says, "O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing?" Now that word leasing uh, means to seek after a lie. There were many, there were many, uh, many of David's people uh, who were not seeking after God for their peace. That they were, they and in doing so, had turned uh, the glory of God into a shame. I believe it's in the Book of Romans where he talks about idolatry, idolatry, and idolatry, and bringing the love of God to a shame. There were people who 
You know, we still have people today who are often seeking peace and comfort uh, through a lie, through a, through a through an idol that cannot give them peace and comfort. And David here is preaching them about uh, where that true peace came from in his own life. But he says, "But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him." <laughs> Those of us are here this morning. Uh, the Lord will. The Lord hears us when we call. Whenever we are, uh, whenever we are troubled about uh, these uh, these lies, these uh, these things that uh, you know that the world tells us will give us peace and comfort, uh, they cannot grant us the, the the peace that David felt here, the the love that David had felt when he had sought out to God and called unto Him. And then he also tells us to stand in awe and sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. When I read that verse this morning, it made me think a lot about it. Uh, our Bible study last week, we uh, we went to the the fifth chapter of the Song of Solomon, <clears throat> whereas uh, I'll, I'll just go there. Where it seems greatly that uh, <clears throat> he says in the second in the second verse of the fifth chapter of Song of Solomon, I sleep, but my heart wakes. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the, with the drops of the night. I have put up my... I, this is a... What we spoke about in Bible stories about all this is, a, this is greatly the Lord who, is a, who has come to his beloved, his betrothed, his love, which is the, which is the church, and which is us, his beloved. <laughs> wanting to uh, to have fellowship with us, to to be to have a to have peace and fellowship with us, and notice and <clears throat> but his beloved that he came to uh, made excuses in the third verse. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put his put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels removed for him. I rose up to open my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, and my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. His beloved had made it had made if we talk about excuses had made a, had made all these reasons of why uh, that uh, she could not let her uh, her betrothed her beloved come in and have fellowship with her. And as often is the case, uh, well, I think back in the in the fourth chapter of Psalms that there there are so many of the Lord's people <clears throat> who desperately need who or who have had the Lord um, desiring to have fellowship with them, have desire to uh, have fellowship with us in the church, and then when the Lord has uh, and if the Lord is knocking, that we should uh, we should open up to Him, to our beloved, and have fellowship with Him. It says in the fifth verse, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine were increased. That's just referring to the, to the harvest time. More than in the, in the time of harvest of these people that David had been, that the gladness that the Lord had put in his heart was so much more than all the than all the corn that they had harvested, he said, "I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety." Not only did did the Lord did was David at peace when he laid down, but he actually but he actually went to sleep, 
You know, I, I mean, how often is it that, you know, whenever we try to lay down, we try to lay down, sometimes we have all these anxieties, all these uh, pressures going on in our, in our life that, you know, can keep us from being able to actually, actually go to sleep. And I think David, if anybody uh, could understand that, would be David. And the Lord not only gave him peace of mind when he laid down to rest his head, but he also allowed him to go to sleep. He let him sleep. And David understood why. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And this, and uh, this, and this, in this, like I said, still the wicked world that we walk in, and that we feel the uh, the filth upon us. I pray this morning that we will uh, that we will allow the Lord to ha- that we will pray to the Lord to have have fellowship with us this morning. That uh, that, that we will pray that He will be uh, here in the midst of us. And give us and give us a peace and comfort to our hearts and to our minds, and that we will understand that, and that we will understand that it is only the Lord that allows us to dwell in safety and to peace and peace and comfort while here on this earth. I thank you. Good morning. I do appreciate the invitation to come back and be with you here at Buffalo. It's been a little while. I missed y'all. It's always good to see smiling faces and people that, uh, you know, you haven't seen in a while. And just always good to come back and see you again. And I'm very thankful and honored uh, to be here among you. I do desire your prayers this morning. I appreciate the humble prayer. Brother Carlos prayed. I appreciate the opening words that uh, the things that the brother talked about goes along with the things that are on my mind this morning. It's always very, <coughs> helps me. <laughs> and um, But I would ask for your prayers as I stand before you. I have a subject that's on my mind that is... Uh, it's an easy subject and it's a hard subject. <clears throat> if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I'm, I'm going to be in a few places. I'm going to try my best not to jump around too much, but I just want us to consider all the way back to Old Testament here in Genesis 12. This is when the Lord reminds Abraham, uh, and I say it like this, you know, uh, I've come to the realization that it's been brought to my attention, you know, when you stand before a people, when you stand before a congregation, you have young folks, old folks, middle-aged folks, you have Bible students uh, that read their Bible regularly, you have some that probably would read their Bible, you know, here and there, you have children, um, have to be fed very carefully, and then you have, you know, what I would consider, you know, Bible scholars, and that might carry a little far. Uh, And then, you know, and while you stand here, you want to feed a little bit of everybody. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 is where I'm going to begin. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy father's kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land, But I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou 
and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, if you Bible readers and studiers, I'm going to throw something at you, and you just take a note because I want you to search it out. Have you ever noticed that little word, had, in the first verse? It says, now the Lord had said unto Abram. That means that was prior to. And then notice in verse 4, it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of it didn't say Ur the Chaldees. This is when he departed out of Haran. Y'all can study that later. That's not my subject. I just want to bring that up because I was on that about three, four, five weeks ago, and it was a deep study. That's interesting language there. What's on my mind this morning is this phrase here where God tells Abram in verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee. That's one of the earliest promises that is not only given to Abraham, but it's given to all the families of the earth that are blessed through Abraham, blessed through Jesus Christ. This is one of the very first promises. And I find this promise very encouraging. Because, see, we live in a day and a time that, well, we want to think to ourselves is like none other. In 2023, you know, when we turn on the news and watch the things that are going on in the world, you know, we question, we worry, we doubt, and we think to ourselves, oh, there's never been a time like this. Well, the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And there have been other times like this, and we ought to have a great confidence just in the simple fact that we are God's children. Why don't you think about that this morning? You are the joint heir with Jesus Christ. That makes me confident. How about y'all? The Lord here, this is after the flood. This is not too long after the flood. We know it's at least, you know, 75 years plus, because April is 75 years here. And Abram wasn't on the ark. <clears throat> so this is after Noah. And we have the generations here. Before that, though, you had patriarchs like Noah. You had Abel, who was killed by his brother. It's Seth. And they walk by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And actually I'm going to catch the last two verses of Hebrews chapter 10. Because they're significant to go along with this. But in Hebrews. Maybe I've got my mark there. I'll do. In Hebrews, the last two verses of chapter 10 says, <clears throat> Now the just, or the justified, shall live by faith. What is faith? It says, The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, 
my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And I hope all of us know this verse. And this verse has been referred to a lot of times as the definition of faith. I can see that. I don't disagree with that. I've also heard that this is uh, an explanation of how faith works. How it's applied and appropriated, if you will. I can see that also. I want to look at it from a little different angle today. It says, now, faith. I want to talk about now faith. Right now. Do you find it interesting that verse starts with now? It didn't start with in the past or in the future. It says now. Now faith. What is now faith? Well, now faith is very, mm, what's a good word, peculiar. See, now faith is what, you know, we want to put on the church signs. We want to sing about it. We want to amen it. It's easy to amen now faith. It's easy to preach about now faith. It's easy to be strong in faith when you're in the church house. But I'm going to tell you, when you're in the real world and it comes the time to actually use your faith in a now situation, that's the hard part. That's when we want to retreat. We want to go back to the... We want to go back to being miserably comfortable. That's what it is. We think it's comfortable, but you're miserable. See, it's not about comfort. It's about your state of mind. See, Noah, we forget a lot of times because, you know, when was Genesis written? It was written in the desert. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote that in the desert. Okay, so the record that we have of Adam and in the beginning all the way down until they go into Canaan's land was written by one man in the desert. Thousands. A couple thousand years later after it all happened. So the record that we have of Noah was given to us by God, given to, Noah, or given to Moses in the desert. So when we, we read, you know, uh, Genesis 6, and we read about Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives, and we read about God coming to, to Noah and saying, all the, all the men of the earth are wicked before me, and, I, and I'm going to cause the earth to slay them. I'm going to slay them by the earth. And he says, go build an ark. Go build an ark to the saving of thy family and of all the animals I'm going to send to you. Two of every unclean and seven of every clean. Now, it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean that Noah was looking for grace. Noah was as wicked as the rest of them. But it says that Noah found grace. What's that mean? It means that God came to Noah. And then from that point, it says Noah walked 
with God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. But see, that's what it takes. That's what it, take, that's what it took for Noah. And that's what it takes for us to use this now faith. How do you think Noah lived? Now, four, uh, Noah was what, 480 years old when the Lord came to Noah. And now he's going to spend a, another 100 years building this ark in the desert, by the way, not close to water. And God told him, he said, build this ark. Well, he's got to go home and tell his wife. Now, to all you married men and soon to be married and would be married, could you imagine going home and telling your wife, well, God spoke to me today and I've got to build an ark. Why? We forget these people had real conversations. I've got to build this ark. God told me to build this ark. Why are you building an ark? Well, there's a flood coming. What do you mean there's a flood coming? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? At that point, there had never been rain. God always calls the earth to be watered from beneath. She said, what's rain? Well, water's going to come out of the sky. That's normal to us, but to her in that day, could you imagine her looking up and then looking at him and saying, have you lost your mind? I'm sure she was his biggest critic in the very beginning. But I'm all, I have full confidence that God moved in her also. But for well over 100 years after that, Noah was mocked. He was ridiculed, made fun of. Why are you building this boat in the desert, you silly old man? Did that move him to stop? Did that cause him to stop believing? Because that's what faith is. Faith is belief. Those two words are synonymous in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Did that cause him to stop believing? No. When David went up against Goliath, David was still a young lad. But I believe David was a student of the scriptures. I believe that David knew this promise concerning Abraham in Genesis 12 when God told Abraham, I will curse. Well, he says, I will bless. I will bless them that bless you. Think about that. I'll get back to David in a second. Think about that concerning your own life. Do you hold on to that promise? You know, that, that promise still applies. You're the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. All the families in the earth shall be blessed by these, what God said. He said, I will bless them that bless thee. Who blesses? Do the wicked bless? No, that's exactly right. They do not. The wicked curse. But notice how God says this. He says, I will bless them who bless thee, and I will curse them who curse thee. And then you get on a little further, you get the institution of circumcision as a sign, as a symbol, that God makes covenant with a people that he selects. 
And then generations later, you get the second king of Israel, who is not acting king, even though he's been anointed as king. And he's still a young lad. Goliath even brings this up. But what does David speak of when he comes to this battle? He speaks of one thing. He speaks of God. He doesn't come up and say, well, just get out there and whoop him, boys. You know? No, that's not what he says. He said, who is this uncircumcised? See, that's a key word there. That goes back to promise. That goes back to covenant. He went looking at natural things. He went looking at this, this Philistine that was somewhere between 10 and 12 feet tall. He, you know, he had six fingers on each hand. He went looking at that Philistine like that. He went in awe of his ability as a man. He was looking at his motive. He said, why, what does this uncircumcised Philistine think he's got on God? Nothing. He says, who does he think he is? That he can come and defy the armies of the living God. That's what David was concerned about. And he says, I'll go fight him. You know what's interesting about this? Do you know David confirmed his, and I'm going to use the word contract, three times before he went out there and fought that Philistine? He did. Go read it. I, I had never seen that before. Before, when he's coming up, there's a servant there that says the man that defeats this Philistine, he's going to get, uh, he's going to get one of the king's daughters. He's going to get riches from the king's, and his father's house will never more pay taxes. David said they will. And in between there is where you we know the phrase, is there not a cause? Because you remember his elder brother, his oldest brother. He said, I know the pride of the of the naughty, how did he put it? The pridefulness of your heart. I forgot how he put it anyway. And then if you'll read, there's two more times that he brings up what exactly is going to happen to the man again that kills this Philistine. And then he goes out with the sling. He picks up five smooth stones, but the Lord only needs one. And he takes up Goliath with one stone that the Lord guides because David was living by faith. What is faith? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at this verse in Hebrews 11, verse 1 as the definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is substance? Sub is underneath. All right? And stance is standing. So it's a pillar. It's ground. Faith is what you stand on. Jesus Christ is our rock of salvation. We stand on this rock. We stand on this ground. Faith is the substance. The stance on which we receive our strength 
It says of things hoped for. It's things expected. Hope there is not a wish. You know, we don't. We wish happy birthdays and we wish happy New Year's and whatever that means. It's not a wish. Hope in the Greek here means expectation. To expect an outcome. You don't deviate from that. Why do we not deviate? Because we've been given promises. We've been given covenants by God himself. So we don't deviate because of a situation. We stand the ground that's been given us, faith, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. So only children of God have faith. And it's what you're standing on because of an expectation that you have. David had an expectation. I might die fighting this Philistine, but the Lord will deliver me. Why did he have that expectation? Well, it wasn't that much before that. He was tending sheep. Samuel came to his father's house. He said, gather your sons. The Lord has picked one of them to be king of Israel. With Jesse just being as human as one of us, gathers his seven eldest sons, and he leaves the youngest, the lad, that keeps sheep out in the field. Why would he get the lad that watches the sheep? It's not him. So I'm going to get my seven eldest, because I know it's going to be my eldest. That's the way it works. And God told Samuel, no, he went through the line. No, 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 no. To the point Samuel said, do you not have another son? He said, well, yeah, yeah, I do. But he's keeper of the sheep. He said, go get him. And David comes in amongst his brothers. And here the prophet anoints him with oil and declares him king of Israel. What do you think they were thinking? This old man, this senile old prophet's lost his mind. But David wasn't thinking that. David was in a place where he believed God. Why did he believe God? Because he'll mention later, talking about that Philistine, he said, well, God brought me through the lion. And that, that, that's just so interesting to me. You're talking about a child. I don't know how old he was when he, when he killed the lion. He said he, he even had his beard in his hand. That means you're face to face with the light. And he was a child. And when I say a child, I mean he was somewhere between the ages of 7 and 15-ish. That's amazing. If you don't recognize even as, a, as an adult, you definitely recognize it as a child that God is the one that delivered me through that. It wasn't myself. And then a bear came, and he slew the bear too. Listen, bears chase people. <laughs> Lions chase people. Not David. That was before. Now he's anointed king. He knows there's a cause. 
You know, we get on past the kings and to the time when the kings were done and God sent his servant, as he called it, Nebuchadnezzar, in to finally take Judah into captivity. And even though God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant in Jeremiah, and even though that Nebuchadnezzar is the first one that God reveals to in the scriptures that he has a son, you remember when Nebuchadnezzar looked down there in the, in the Hebrew, remember the fire that Meshach, uh, Shadrach, and Abednego were in, and he looked down in there and he said, I thought we put three in there. He said, but I see the fourth. And he's likened unto the Son of God. Who told him that? That's a, that, that's a great question. Who told him that? He said, I thought we fired that thing up seven times hotter than it ever been. Why are they walking around? And why is there four in there? Who told him that? God did. God revealed that to him. But what did the three Hebrew children say to Nebuchadnezzar before he cast them in? He said, they said, we will not bow down to your gods. I said, we won't. We will not bow down to your idols. We're not going to bow down to your gods. You can kill us, but God will deliver us. Why? Because he's your child. You're his child. You're his Talking about current affairs, and I try not to get caught up in it, but it's hard not to. It really is. It's hard not to. I'm concerned about, well, the talk of the day, the dollar. I got it in my pocket. Some of y'all done put some up here. But where do we draw a line in concern or I'll go as far as say doubt, because that's not come up. Where do we draw a line and say, I will not bow down? To allowing the circumstances around me that I can't control to control my thoughts, to control my mind. Because this right here says what I'm standing on is supposed to be what controls my mind. It's supposed to be what controls my thoughts. Because I have a greater expectation. Why do we have a greater expectation? You know why? Because you've been told the ending. You know, that's what the good news is. The gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, you know what the good news of Jesus Christ is? He's one. He's one. You know who has the keys to hell and death? Now, you know who has the keys? Jesus. Jesus. He has the keys. He's won the victory. And it says, the book said, tells us that he giveth us the victory. So that means, yes, we're going to die one day. These bodies, they are corporally going to die. But did you know your soul will never die? We go to another place in Genesis when uh, Rebecca died. It says her soul was in departing. It went back to God who gave it. 
That means when we die, we don't die, just our bodies. Our bodies will die. They'll be laid to rest either in a, a graveyard or cremation. Bodies have been laid to rest in the sea. They've been burnt up in fire. They've been decomposing. Been worm food. But did you know that the Lord knows every particle, every atom that ever made you up? And he tells us he's going to speak to that dead body in the grave. And it will rise. It will rise. And when it rises, it's not going to rise in the way that it used to be. It's going to rise incorruptible. It's going to arise immortal. It's going to arise, as the Bible tells us, in his image. Perfect. That's a great expectation, is it not? We expect that to happen. I hope you expect that to happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Oh, I've had a thought in my mind and I hadn't been able to just really elaborate on it because it's so intriguing. The natural world, did y'all know that naturally, I see y'all, y'all see me? But you know this in reality? Listen, preacher, you lost your mind? No. Did you know the invisible world is what is reality? And the easiest way, and I've brought this up several times, what's this? I'm not talking about water. What is water? H2O, right? You ever seen two hydrogens and an oxygen get together? Yeah, yeah, you have. It's the manifestation of the invisible. Water, in reality, is invisible. But God causes it to be seen, which is a manifestation of the invisible. The invisible is the the real world. What we see is not the real world. It's a manifestation of the real world. So I can't see your soul, but I know you got one. I can't see your faith, but I know you got it. It's the evidence of things not seen. How's that possible? Because God said so. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith. Now faith. this now faith in verse 2 says the elders obtained a good report did you know that the reporting of your life the what is called the accounting of your life 
the reckoning of your life that you're supposed to be living by faith. Accounting, reckoning, those are accounting terms. CPAs use those terms concerning ledgers. And it talks about that these elders obtained a good report. It's through faith they obtained a good report. Did you know that through faith you will not obtain a bad report? Faith doesn't bring bad report. It It can't. It's impossible. That's another very encouraging part of this chapter. Because, see, we still sin. You know who's heard every lie you've ever told? Because the first person that comes to your mind is God. Amen, it is God. But do you know who's heard every lie that you've ever told? You. You. You've heard every lie you've ever told. But did you know that's not what God accounts on your register? He doesn't. How is that? What do you mean by that? Well, we read about Abel. We read about Enoch. We read about Noah. We read about Abraham. Verse 8. Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. I encourage you to go study what I first started with. Genesis 12, 1, 12, 4. Do a little study on Haran, which is, by the way, is his older brother's name that died. But that was the place he left when he was 75 years old. And he found it on a map that's about 600 miles north of the Ur of Chaldees. So he left the Ur of Chaldees before he was 75, and he didn't leave Haran until he was 75. And his daddy died in Haran. God said, get away from thy father's house. When he left the Ur of Chaldees, his daddy was with him. But here... It says that when God told him to go out into a place which he he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He obeyed. In what way did he obey? In the way that God accounted his obedience. God did not ledge in his ledger all the mishaps and mess-ups that he had. He only wrote down the obedience, the good report. Y'all find that interesting? I do. That means that God doesn't write down what I do wrong. That means that God only writes down what I do right through faith because he gave me that faith. I'll prove it again. Move on down. Verse 11 Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive a child Don't miss it. Hold on. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was just, uh, when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. 
When was that after she left? Isn't that amazing? That, that, that just... That's intriguing to me. That the Bible teaches me no matter how much I mess up, he only wedges what I do right and what I do good. You know, Sarah's an interesting figure back there in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15. Because who did the promise come to? It came to Abraham. Did you know that uh, Sarah, the, cons- the, the promise concerning Sarah, did you, you realize it didn't even come in until like Genesis 16 or 17? I think it was said at the beginning of 17. Because she's the one that says, well, I mean, Abraham's been 15 years. You still don't have a child. Here, go into Hagar. It's gotta, you got to have a son. we got to get this thing going. And then after Israel came forth, that's when God showed up to Sarah and says, now, Sarah, you're going to have the child. And what she did, she laughed. And what did God do? He called her out on it. And then she lied. I didn't laugh. Well, you're right. You didn't laugh out loud, but you laughed in your heart. And God can see your heart. He called her out. She, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't laugh. Do you know Abraham laughed too, by the way? That's in Genesis 17, 17. Abraham laughed too. But that's not accounted. That's not alleged here. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's a confession that we need to make every day of our lives. And it's hard because, see, we're so natural and we get our mind gets so wrapped up in having things. We want things. You want to work hard, make money, have things, you know, because we're show offs. Right. (laughs) My little girl got mad, jealous last night because our neighbors got a puppy. A puppy. Why does she why does she act like that? Because she wants a puppy too. We want things. We want to show off our things. She got jealous because our neighbor was showing off her new thing. Just a dog. Things gonna poop and pee all over the place. Eight weeks old. She could have it. But my little girl wasn't happy. I want my own thing to show off. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. You know, there were more promises to come after Abraham, after Sarah, after Isaac, after Jacob. It was going to come through Judah, the promises given in Genesis 48. The one main promise was the Savior, the Christ, 
that the Samaritan woman declared. They didn't receive that promise. They received some promises, but they didn't receive that promise. But they saw it. They could see it in the future. Do you know there's a promise we haven't received yet? We've read, we, we have received the promise of Jesus. And we can look in the past and see that. But do you know there's a promise coming in the future that you can see today? That's the promise of the second coming of Christ. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's the promise that he says that when that trumpet trumps, the dead will rise first, and then we that remain here shall meet them in the air. It says to be with the Lord forever. That's a promise that today has not, we have not received, but we can see it. If you can see that today, you know what you ought to confess? They're right there. That this earth is not your home. That you're a pilgrim. You're a stranger here. I want to get to one last verse, and it's in Hebrews 12, the next chapter. And I've just run out of time. But they talked, Paul talks a lot here at the towards the end. I'm going to kind of run through this pretty quick. Towards the end of chapter 11, he, he builds these people up as witnesses or as cloud of witnesses. Because, see, we need encouragement in this world. When all boils down to it, you need encouragement. You need people that you can look to, either in the present or in the past, that can encourage you to make it through life. Because when it all boils down, life is pretty depressing. And that's just the fact of it. I apologize. I'm not trying to be negative. And that's why you need encouragement. You need people to look to. You need people to lean on. You need people to talk to or read about. And he goes through these few scenarios to help us realize that even though we think it, we got it bad, they had it much worse. He says in verse 33, well, I'm back up. I'm still on 11. Forgive me. I'll get to 12 in just a second. He says in verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also. Notice David's not even, I mean, he just didn't bring up David in the hall of faith. Y'all find that interesting? I did. And Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Now this is their accomplishments. Okay? But he's fixing to tell you of the hardships also. Yes, we can subdue kingdoms, wrought righteousness, do right things, obtained promises, stop the mouths of lions, <clears throat> quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Y'all catch that? Out of weakness were made strong. That isn't. That makes no sense, except spiritually. Waxed bait and fight turned to the flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. 
not accepting deliverance. Do you know the world will throw you deliverance in the midst of torture? The devil will. You know why? Because if you take the deliverance over the torture, it doesn't bring God glory. But they refused it. They refused to be delivered from the torture that they might obtain a better resurrection. I don't know exactly how to explain that. A better resurrection? That's a question I got for Jesus. I'll pray about it now. Maybe he'll give me some light on it. But that's an interesting thought. A better resurrection? Think on that one. As others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were asunder, sawn asunder. Sawn asunder, by the way, means cut in half, disemboweled for the name of Christ. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having attained a good report. Through faith received not the promise of the Messiah, Jesus. God having provided some better thing for us. That they without us should be made perfect. Do you know their trials without our trials are not made perfect? It takes both. It takes the people before Jesus and after Jesus. That's, that's, that's deeper in my pay grade. But this ain't. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing, seeing, now we can see. Now, can you see them by sight? No, these people are long dead and gone, but you can see them by faith. They're invisible, but we can see them. Seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, this is interesting. I want y'all to catch this. There's two verses here, not two verses, two, 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 two subjects. Let us lay aside every weight, okay? There are weights in our lives, and we carry them around with us. Their excuses is what they are. Their excuses for doing what God wants us to do. Their excuses for what we know we ought to do. Their excuses, I mean, it's all over the board, folks. Their excuses. The best one that the devil tricked me with for so many years, what will people think? What will they think? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Notice it doesn't say and sin. That would be sin in general. It says the sin. There's a specific sin here. The sin. What, what sin? Which doth so easily beset us. What is that? It's the sin of doubt. Or the sin of unbelief. Not believing. 
not trusting, doubting. He says that we need to we need to lay this aside. So that tells me if I'm not careful, I'll carry this around. But he says to lay it aside. To lay something aside is when you put it down, you leave it there. Why do we need to lay this aside? Because it besets us or sets us back. We're not to set ourselves back. We're to be pressing forward into the kingdom. How do we do this? There's a couple things you got to realize. It says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Each and every single one of you has a specific individual race. No one can run it for you. You have to run your own race. How do you run a race? Well, if you run a race too fast, in the beginning, you're going to burn out, you're going to quit. This race is a lifelong race. You have to run it with patience. Not only patience for yourself, but patience for others around you. Because they're running a race too. You have to find grace and mercy. You have to have grace and mercy. The Lord has it on you. Guess what? We need to have it on each other. A lot of times we hard on each other. Especially the ones that are close to you. My wife just said amen. How do we do that? How do we run this race with patience that is set before us? It's good to look to each other. It's good to look at these witnesses. But at the end of the day, there's only truly one that would get you through it all. And his name is Jesus. Why is he the true and only one that can truly get you through it? Because he's the one that gave you the faith in the first place. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Did you know one day your faith will be finished? He'll be, he'll be finished with your faith. What's that mean? I think it's uh, second, is it first, first Corinthians 13, the charity chapter. Love, agape, sacrificial love. Do you know that you'll have that in heaven? But you won't have faith in heaven. Why is it? Because everything that we don't see, we'll see. Everything that we live by faith now, we'll live by sight there. We won't have faith. He gives us faith to get through life. He gives us faith to run our race. He authored your faith. And he'll be the finisher of your faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, here's the focus, for consider him that endured 
such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Because that's what we want to do. At the end of the day, it's easier to throw in the towel. Ah, I'm done. It's harder to keep going. But see, if we got our focus on Jesus and we can consider what he went through for us, which is a contradiction for him to go through what he went through as a sinless man to take on sin, then can we make it through one more battle. Keep your focus on him. Study his word. This is his word. Study the stories of the brothers and sisters that walk through what they walk through. And the Bible says they did it by faith. Jesus authored it in them to do it. Guess what? He authored it in you to do it also. May you be reconciled to that. I said something at the very beginning about now faith. It's what we like to preach about. It's what we like to sing about. It's what we like to amen. You know, and it's easy when you're not in the now. But the now is right now. To live by faith in the now at the moment is to come and submit unto the church and underwater baptism. That's the now. And I'm going to tell you, it just became hard. Trust me, I know. I've walked it. But as a witness and a testimony from everybody that has walked it, did it set you free? Did it change your perspective? Did the Lord bless you through it? I know he did. And he will. That now faith. May the Lord bless you. We're going to stand and sing number 154. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you're here this morning, you have a desire, you come, you know, with this church. You come now.